I, uh, I, I look at, I look at uh, this church and this community, and I, I know God is alive, is working, uh, is moving in the hearts and lives of people. And I'm sure if I talk to many of you today, you would have a story about how uh, God has used this church family to impact you. Uh, so I'm, on, I'm honored to be here. My wife and I, we've been married for 20 years, and uh, she's still my best friend. Uh, she is a dark chocolate piece of beauty that God, God was kind and gracious enough to give me. Uh, some 20 years ago, uh, we have three fantastic children. Uh, we have our oldest son is Parker, and then our middle son is Grayson, and then we have a little baby girl uh, who is Elle. Uh, she is a two and wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, as you can see, uh, our daughter Elle is, you know, a vanilla latte. And... <laughs> Hey, just, I'll tell you guys this. I don't tell everybody this, but just so you know, okay, so I'm black. <laughs> and um, <laughs> black people have to put on lotion, okay? If not, they get ashy, okay? So if you ever see, a, if you don't know what ashy is, you're going to have to ask a black friend. I don't have time to explain everything this morning, Liberty Downtown. I don't have time to explain everything. So we got our daughter, you know, and we're just used to lotioning everybody all up. That's what, that's what we do. We just, our boys just lather them up. They're out of the shower, out of the bath, you lather them up with lotion. Because you can't have your kids running around ashy. So uh, our daughter, we bathed her and we just started lathering her up with lotion. She broke out with all these pimples all over her face. And we had no idea why. We had one of our white friends tell us, um, you know you can't put lotion on her face that thick as you do to your other kids. We, we didn't know. We had no idea how to raise a white child. <laughs> but we figured it out now. And it has been an absolute wonderful experience. Our, our daughter, uh, she uh, completed our family, honestly. We thought we were done uh, with our two boys. We thought we were finished. And we got a random text message um, in 2015 about a little girl that was in the hospital. Uh, she had been there for five weeks. And her mother was making the courageous decision uh, to find a home that would raise her daughter. Uh, the mom was not at the place where she would be able to do that herself. So again, incredibly courageous, bold, uh, selfless decision that she made. And uh, we received this text message and we said, oh, sure, let's throw our name in the hat. And four days later, uh, this little girl was in our home and uh, our lives have been wrecked for the better ever since. She absolutely completed our family, we love her so, so very much. Uh, but if I get any more random text messages, I am sending them to Paul and Andy. I'm sending them to you guys because we have a two-year-old and we're old. So we're running around all over the place trying to, she's pushing chairs, all, she's climbing on top of chairs so she can get on top of the refrigerator so she can get to some cheese balls. And it's amazing how resourceful a two-year-old can be. 
Uh, but we're having the time of our lives, time of our lives. Hey, uh, you guys ready to grow a little bit today? You ready to, uh, for all of us, we're going to get a little bit better, uh, learn a little bit more about who Jesus is, who we are in relationship to him. And again, if you're here with us for the first time, we're thrilled to have you with us. You're in a fantastic community. We're trusting for God to do great things in and through your life. I want to encourage you, get incredibly plugged in here. You will not uh, be disappointed. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14, uh, we're going to read uh, one of these parables of Jesus, and uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful parable, and, and prayerfully by the time we're all done here, it makes more sense to you, makes more sense to me, and all of us have developed some in our faith. Just so you know, if you nod and smile, I get done faster. And if you dare say amen or even clap, oh, my goodness, we'll be out of here in seven minutes, y'all. This will be the best sermon you've ever heard. We'll go get our bellies nice and full. Uh, Luke chapter 14, we're going to begin reading in verse number 15. Uh, do I have the scripture up here? Give it to me. If not, then I'm going to be messed up. Here we go. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story, a man prepared a great feast and sent out invita many invitations. Let me pause uh, for a second here. Have you ever been looking through Instagram or Facebook and have seen your friends at a party that you weren't invited to? <laughs> Smiling, actually having a good, good time without you being present. Uh, how dare they? I, uh, I, I've seen this. This has happened to me before. So I think maybe I missed the text, maybe. So you scroll through your phone, check your emails, go through your junk folder as well, just maybe trying to give the benefit of the doubt, but you find out, no, <laughs> you just weren't invited. Uh, this is not that particular story here. Jesus sends out, the, this, this master sends out uh, many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. I want you to know this uh, little note here is consistent uh, with the Roman and Jewish customs of the day, primarily uh, for the upper class. Jesus, in this particular parable, is sharing this story around the table of a Pharisee. A Pharisee would be an individual of prominence, an individual of influence, an individual of some standing. So he is actually at a house party with someone who is prominent in the community, prominent in the city, and this is who the audience that he is, with whom he is sharing this parable. And as he's sharing it, he's saying, hey, the servant went out, and, and when everything was ready, he, he sent the servant out. This is what they would do in Christ's day, different than ours. We might invite our friends over at 7, knowing that dinner won't be ready until 7.45, uh, because we want to make sure everyone's there on time, and the food's not cold. Uh, that's not how they did it in Christ's day. So everything is set. Everything is ready. Everything is prepared, and the servant goes out. As he begins to make all these invitations, they all began to make excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife. <laughs> no, please. I can't come. <laughs> 
have the party without me. I, I, can't, I can't come. I, I, I like this parable for a bunch of reasons. Uh, one reason is, without a doubt, it connects with our day and age. He, here is Jesus talking about uh, the trappings of business life, commercial life, relationship life, and how these um, uh, blessings can turn into burdens if we are not careful. How these things in our day and age that we are all accustomed to, we all work or are trying to find a job or start a company or make our organization better or all of us have some friends or a spouse or uh, um, maybe somebody that we're raising up. We have some relationship that's a priority to us. And in Christ's day, these gifts uh, that God has given us uh, could become many times things that would hinder a person from stepping fully into the invitation of discipleship, would slow them down from what was probably really in their hearts, but they had very legitimate excuses why these things needed to be priority and the invitation needed to be secondary. And this is what happens to you and to me. You and I aren't necessarily bad people, but we live in this world that is trying to grab our attention and it's trying to tell us the temporary is what's important. The eternal can wait for later. So just spend every waking moment, spend all of your energy, spend all of your money, spend all of your gifts, spend all of your talents, spend everything you possibly can on what you see in front of you. And later on, you can deal with these other things. That people in Jesus' day are no different than you and I. I mean, look, look, look at the first person. The first person says, hey, I, I just bought a field. I got a field. I need to go inspect it. I, I need to go check it out. I, I, I just signed the contract. I, I've got a new opportunity. I just signed a new lease. I just have a, a, a new door that opened. I just got this new thing that came my way. Because in, in our day and age, we are fascinated with new Ooh, new, 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 new. If it's new, it can get our attention. You don't even have to have ADD or ADHD. If it's, if it's new, you and I just want, want to go there. And marketers know this. Some of you are already are in marketing. You know this. Uh, so you have toothpaste. Crest toothpaste has been around for how long? But it's new this year. It's brand new. Now your teeth will become gold and white all at the same time. New, all the cars that are being promoted, they're all, they're, it's the all new Cadillac. It's the all new Hyundai. It's the all new, all new? The last one had wheels. The last one had doors. The last one had air conditioning. But this one, this one is all new. It's all new. No one has ever had this 2027 model yet. No one has it. New, 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 new. And what you and I will do is we'll take new opportunities that will come our way, gifts that God has given us, and we'll take those new opportunities and we'll allow those opportunities to trump the invitation for you and I to become more of who God is calling us to be. We will take those new opportunities and say, hey, let me put my focus, let me put my attention, let me put my heart in this 1,000%, and later on I'll, I'll deal with 
with the whole Jesus thing. But for right now, I need this new because if this new goes away, then I'll become old and somebody else will take the new, then I'll miss the new. And if I miss this new, then my life will be over. And how many of us know it's a lie? It's a lie. It's a distraction. It's something to get your eyes and your heart and my eyes and my heart off of the things that really matter in life. And I'm telling you, new is good, but don't allow new opportunities to trump the invitation that Jesus Christ has given you to become all that he's destined for you to be. Don't take your walk with him and set it aside so that you can take this new thing and make that your priority. I'm all for new, but not when new pushes your relationship with Jesus to the peripheral. Not only do you see this person who has uh, this, this new opportunity, you see someone uh, that has some new things happening at their company. This next person bought five pairs of oxen. Now, this is unique because in Christ's day, two pair of oxen would be plenty. Uh, for the, the, the size of farm uh, for in Christ's day. So, but this, this individual, they have five pair. So this is probably someone of some means. This is probably someone that has some resources. This is an individual that, that started the company and it's about to go public. This is an individual that started uh, the, the company and, and they were over here in this back little office, but now they're about to be on Wall Street and they are so incredibly excited about it. This is you and you used to be a supervisor, but now you're about to be a manager and you're going from the cubicle to your own office and you're going to have your name on the door and everyone will know that you're awesome. Your grandmother always told you you're awesome, but now everyone will know that you are God's gift to the earth. <laughs> this is where work, work becomes, begins to take precedent and become a priority. And I recognize, man, I, I was wrestling with sharing this one, okay, because I'm in I mean, come on, this is New York. We've got Wall Street right down the street from us here. And what we do here, I mean, we, we work, we go, we work, we go, we work, we go, we work, we go. That's what we do. And I, I love work ethic. It's a good thing. But work was never designed to be worshipped. Work, it was designed to be a gift from God. Work is something that he uses to form your character and you can be a light in the community that you are in. But work was never designed to be your savior because here's the thing, work cannot save you from your sin and work cannot cleanse you from unrighteousness and work cannot take away your guilt and work cannot remove condemnation and fear from your soul and work cannot take you from darkness to light. Work can do none of those things. The only one that can do all of those things is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So I don't want us to take work and make work our God. Make work the thing that gets the best of us. I'm all, I'm all for working hard. As a matter of fact, some of you in here need to hear what I'm saying. I want to make this really, really clear. Don't use like the Jesus example and be lazy at work. Uh, boss, I'm sorry I'm late, but I'm not really sorry. 
this is bald guy talking at church on Sunday, and he told me that I'm not supposed to worship here. So I decided to come late because I just wanted to stroll in. I just want to do what I want to do when I want to do. I'm going to take a three-hour lunch break because I'm going to prove to you work is not going to be what I worship. Listen, you'll get fired, and you should. You should. Don't say you're a part of Liberty Church and be lazy at work. Name another church, but don't say liberty. <laughs> you ought to be showing up early. You ought to be staying late. They should want to have 15 of you in the office because you are so full of life and you are encourager and you are so full of purpose and you're so full of strength and you're so full of hope and you lift the entire atmosphere. You ought to be so strong at your place of employment. Everyone should want to work for you, with you, by you because you are that type of a light. But at the end of the day, your work is not your God. You already have one. And let's keep Jesus at the center of your life. Hey, I, um, you're like me. You have friends that are smarter than you, like I have friends that are smarter than me. And we all appreciate smarter friends because we feel like we're smarter because we have them in our life. I'm thinking of one friend in particular, um, one of my best friends, uh, Stanford undergrad, Harvard MBA, incredibly articulate, so, so uh, smart, uh, incredibly intellectual, but kind at the same time and not demeaning. You know how some smart people can be sometimes? He's not like that at all. I mean, just this perfect match, gifted. I remember he got let go. Not because he wasn't working hard. Company, bought another company. They had greater loyalty to the guy who did what he did at the other company than they did to him. It wasn't personal. Just can't have two of you. You got to go. That quick. Here's the thing about your job. You know this like I know this. They can fire you. I know some of you are like, oh, no, no, don't, don't say that. <laughs> Holidays. I don't pray that it happens. I don't want it to happen. I don't want it to happen. What I'm saying is your energy, your loyalty, your effort, all of your desire, your blood, sweat, and tears don't get to the end of your life. And you have given everything to a company that's willing to let you go in a heartbeat. Give your everything to a Savior that will hold on to you from now all the way into eternity and let your work be a gift that you offer up to him, but never let it be the center of your universe. Your God is your God, and you should have no one else before him. But, but this last one, I, I like this last one. I, I can't come, can't be there. I just got married, okay? I just, I just got married, and I waited for 34 years to find the right person. I have been on eHarmony. I've been on blackpeoplemeet.com. I've been on farmersonly.com. I've been waiting for so long, and you're going to tell me that you want me to leave this to go to a party? No, sir. I am staying right here. 
here Jesus taps into something that is, oh, man, it's second nature to all of us, relationships, relationships. This is, this is part of why we exist and how we exist. It gives us energy. It keeps us pushing forward. It's one of the reasons the church is such a powerful thing. Community is such a powerful thing because relationships matter uh, so much. But my wife and I have been married for these 20 years, and she is my best friend. And I love her with all of my heart, and she loves me with all of her heart. And we get along great. We have a very healthy marriage, not a perfect marriage because th those don't exist, but a very, very healthy, healthy marriage. Like there's no perfect churches, only healthy churches. So you, this is, happens to be a healthy church. If you're looking for a perfect church, you're going to have to go someplace else because once you showed up, <laughs> perfect went right out the door once you showed up. So we, we have a healthy marriage. I, 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 lo I love my wife, but she and I, our marriage works right because she is not at the center of my soul. Our marriage works right because I'm not at the center of her soul. Our marriage works correctly because Jesus is at the center of both of our lives. And when Christ is at the center, things work correctly. The rhythm is right. You ever, you ever sat next to someone during church who can't sing and can't clap on rhythm? And we love them. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's welcome. But it's like, wow, okay. No, no, it's a two and a four. It's a two and a four. It's a two and a four. Okay, Lord. Okay, okay. When the rhythm gets off, you can hear it in a song. You can see it in a marriage. The rhythm, can ju it just gets off. I just want to encourage those of you in here who want to be married one day, those who are single right now, if you can learn to have Jesus at the center of your heart right now, you want to be connected with someone who has Jesus at the center of their life as well. And when the two of you come together, you'll have Christ at the center of your marriage. Don't don't get connected with someone whose life uh, and their attention and their devotion is on something other than Christ because you'll end up with a marriage that has a funky rhythm. The dancing will be off. And it can sometimes feel really good to have someone with their arms around you, but I'm telling you, uh, at the end of the day, after years of that, that will wear off. And you'll want someone who's going the same direction as you. I was a single pastor, a singles pastor for a long time. I've done a number of weddings, and I absolutely loved b being a, a singles pastor. It was a joy. Uh, but if there's any encouragement I can give to our, our single family, but but please, those who are married, and and because uh, I don't, I don't want to just pick on uh, single folks. I don't want to pick on anybody actually. Uh, but let me just talk to uh, married couples. When we, you know, we had baby uh, dedications today, and all these beautiful uh, babies that are up here. And I don't know if these are first children or second children or third children. Or, you know, like uh, Paul and Andy have 17 beautiful children, it seems like. I'm just counting their kids all the time. I'm like, how do you guys do that? There's so many beautiful children. 
But all, all these babies that are being dedicated today, it's beautiful. But I know, I know when a parent, when parents get a new child in their life, they can take that child and put that child right at the center of their life. And everything is all about the child. And, every, and you revolve your whole life around the child. And you met your spouse. You met them at church. You met serving together. But now that you have a child, it's like, oh, no, 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 we can't go to church. And we can't serve anymore because we got to make sure we give all of our heart and all of our time and all of our effort and all of our energy to our child. And I'm telling you, your child is a gift from heaven, but your child is not your God. You were never designed to worship your child. You already have a Savior. As a matter of fact, I tell my kids this. I tell them, I like your mother more than I like you. I say it with a smile. I give them a hug right after because they will leave. One day, parents, <laughs> they're supposed to grow up, go out into the world, and those of you who are living with your parents right now, I know I don't know your situation. God loves you. He's with you. He's on your side. No judgment here, okay? No judgment. But one day... <laughs> Your kids are supposed to be raised up and be lights in this world. You are trying to raise world changers. You are trying to raise people that will go into a dark world and share the hope and the love of Jesus Christ with passion and authenticity and humility and with kindness. You are trying to raise up some people that will do good in this world for the cause of Jesus Christ. You're not trying to raise up some little lambs that will stay in your house for the rest of their days. You're trying to raise up warriors that will be the hands and feet of Jesus in their generation. So do not revolve your life around them. You let them know our lives revolve around Jesus. So you're on this journey with me. You're on this journey with me. Again, I'm all for, I'm all for giving 110% to your kids, okay? We give 110%. Like, like your pastors, we, we are at every single game of our kids, okay? We just drove 45 minutes to both ways to go watch our 12-year-old play in a 7th grade B-team basketball game. He played for five minutes, okay? He played for, the score, the score was 20 to 18 at the end of the game, Yeah, get him. Yeah, get him. <laughs> we celebrated. I'm joking, of course. We celebrated with all of our heart. We told Parker, you're amazing. You did so great. I'm in the backyard with him. We're shooting. We have so much fun. I remember when our, our seven-year-old, when he was five, when he played basketball for the first time. This is literally how he played. He is Mary Poppinsing it all over the basketball court. He's dancing and singing like, yeah, dad. The ball is on the other side of the court. No rebounds, no defense, no shots whatsoever. We put so ever. We paid $125 to watch our child skip game after game after game after game. We went every week. We went. I'm saying we're all in as parents. I put my kids to bed every night. 
It's one of the things my wife and I uh, talked about, and, and the kids love it, and she loves it, and I love it. So every night I, I, I put our kids to bed, okay? I, I have our boys in the room. We do our scriptures, and we pray together, and I share a story with them every night, a made-up story from my life or a parable. I just, I'm making things up all the time. Their names are Parker and Grayson, and I made up a story the other night. I was like, okay, there are two brothers. One's name was Garker, and the other name was Prayson. <laughs> and they had an awesome dad <laughs> who was handsome. You know, I, I'm just trying, I'm making things up. I see, I'm all in. My wife and I are all in as parents. But our kids cannot be our God. So what, what, does, the, what does the master do when he hears all these excuses? What, what does the master do? The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite, look who he's inviting. Invite the poor. Invite the crippled. Invite the blind. Invite the lame. Invite everyone who's been marginalized. Invite everyone who feels like they don't measure up. Invite people who have been married multiple times and they feel like maybe they aren't as good as someone who has never been in a relationship. Invite the people who have filed for bankruptcy. Invite the people who did not get to go to the school that they wanted to go to and didn't finish in the time that they wished they would have finished. Invite the people who got pregnant outside of wedlock. Invite the people who have a sketchy past. Invite the people who aren't, aren't proud of everything that they've done throughout their college days. Invite the people who feel like they maybe don't measure up as much as they want to. I want you to go out there and I want you to get every man, every woman, every single individual you possibly can that feels like they are below, underneath, less than, and you let every single one of them know there is space, there is a place for them in the house. So he goes out and after the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. I, I love this. I love this. I love that the servant, I love that the servant is looking out and he's saying there's still room for more. So you would think maybe the master's like, well, I'm good where I am. I, I sent out this uh, invitation. I'm good. But the master is not at all. Look at the master's heart. I want you to see the heart of your father. I want you to see the heart of your savior. So his master said, his master said, go into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge, what's that word? Urge Who? Who? Urge anyone, 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 anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. That's the heart of your master. That's the heart of your Savior. So that's why when you hear about us at Liberty Church and we're taking steps to launch new campuses and you hear us talking about new communities and community groups and people and us reaching into our city and us serving during Christmas and us serving the kids and us serving during Thanksgiving, I cannot have you have a mindset. We can't have you have a mindset of, oh, no, I got what I need, so I'm good now. You have to keep thinking like your master. You have to keep thinking thinking like your Savior. You have to keep thinking like your God where he's like, no, go get them, go get them, go get them, go, go get anyone. Go get the people on Wall Street. Go get the homeless. Go get the married. Go get the single. Go get the men. Go get the women. Go get everyone you possibly can because I want my house to 
be full, full. Do you know that there are people that woke up this morning and they feel utterly hopeless? The songs that we sang today, they've never heard. The idea of babies being dedicated in an environment of love and acceptance is foreign to them. A community where people from all different backgrounds can come together and worship with joy and humility would absolutely blow their mind. And last night, they were trying to drink or smoke their problems away. And they're in their beds this morning thinking, I'll do the same thing next week. Our, our master, our, our savior, his heart is that the house would be full. His heart is that there wouldn't be one person out there that would think they're uninvited. So you have some coworkers that will see your Instagram story or you see your Facebook post and they're wondering, will you invite them? They're wondering. Because you think, oh, no, nobody wants to come. I'm, I'm, the only, I'm the only Jesus freak at the office. But they're thinking, hmm, if they just said something to me, if they just gave me a, even a small invitation, I'd go. Because there's something on them and in them that I wish was on me and in me. And this is your father, his grace and his love being poured out on you so he can reach the anyones of this city. I, uh, I, I want to acknowledge that I'm, I'm reading into the text with this next thing. I'm reading into the story. It does not say this, okay? Those of you theologians out there trying to destroy my sermon. <laughs> Okay, I'm reading this in. But I like that those who were invited secondarily and those who were invited on the, the third pass, none of them seem to complain about being invited, not being on the initial list. I like that they're just happy that they got invited. I don't know, when, I know when I look at your pastors, I see giftedness and skill and ability and Paul and Andy, they're smart and articulate and good looking and got it all. And I love them for it. Uh, they might not feel like they're the most gifted, but I, if looking from the outside in, it sure looks like they are to me. To see what God has done in this community, in this church over these short, almost seven years is absolutely mind-blowing and nothing short of miraculous. It's God's hand of grace. But what I know when I look at them, I, I see excellence and I see strength. And maybe they don't feel like they were God's first pick. Because I know for me, I don't always feel like I was God's first pick. I know that there are other people more gifted, more talented, more articulate than I but I don't care. Because <laughs> once he tapped me on the shoulder, it said, son, I want to pull you out of your 
hopelessness and your brokenness and the misery that you have walked in. And I want to let you know that I have not forgotten about you, that I'm on your side and I'm for you. And I want you to know that I have a seat at the table with your name on it. I don't care if I was second or third or fourth or 75th or 105th. I'm just glad I have a seat at the table. And I want you to know your father has a seat at the table for you. What did you carry? What did you walk in here with today? What are you carrying? What heaviness is on your heart? What fear are you wrestling with? And what dreams do you feel have been shattered? And I just want you to know you're in anyone that he's calling to come to the table. I'm going to read this last verse of Scripture. I'm going to be all done. Okay, I'm going to be all done. Luke chapter 15, verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep? Look at these last four words. Until he finds it.